You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. any rate, if you're a slow page turner, um, I'm going to be a little bit in the last part of Matthew, the last chapter 28, and in the first chapter of uh, Acts as well. And so we'll be in there just a little touch, and then we'll get started talking about the ministry at the church. Um, I'll give a little bit of introduction to myself. Uh, I have a lot of connections to this church. Uh, my uh, little baby sister is Amy Wallen. My uh, that make Matt Wallen my brother-in-law. I see my cousin Jake here. I did not know you were here. Good to see you, by the way. Uh, Joel Ellis, who a lot of you guys know, he was one of my better friends in high school. He actually named a star after my wife before I met her. And so he spent the money to do that. So I have a tremendous amount of connections to this building, and, and uh, even though I haven't been in here very often. This conference has been about missions. And uh, we want to talk about what missions is and where we get that from Scripture and what that means. So in the Matthew chapter 28... We're going to talk about the Great Commission and talk about that just a little bit before we dive into talking about the church. Matthew 28 and verses 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1 is going to be similar in Acts chapter 1, we have this situation. This is right before Christ went up to, uh, received up to heaven. This is verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jer- Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what we're talking about when we talk about missions. We're talking about this charge that we are told to do. In February 1st, I will be my 20th year starting at Walmart. I still work there full time. Um, for most of that time, I was in management, and I sat through 10 million Walmart meetings, which are the most dreadfully dull things ever. At the end of every one of those meetings, they always give you a go-do. What that means is, like, because you have this information, this is what you go-do. When you talk about the Christian faith, this is the go-do. Because we are believers in Christ, because we follow what Christ has commanded us to do, we do this. We make disciples, we tell people about Jesus, and we go into the ends of the earth. That is the natural progression. It should be the most common thing that we do as Christians. It's just the truth. We have a nasty, terrible habit, though, that we often do. We often view that missions as something that's removed from the local church body. But what we try to do is we are very comfortable supporting people to go overseas and go to preach in different places, which we should do. My cousin Trevor is in Spain uh, Brian from this church is in, well, has been in Spain as well. My friend Dustin, who inspired me to go into ministry, is in Peru right now. We need to support those people. We need to fund them. We need to send people from our own body to other places. But it doesn't remove the responsibility that we have here in the local area. Look at this charge that Christ gave to his church. It says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is a, this is a logical pro- uh, progression. Jerusalem is the place that they were at at that point. Jerusalem is the place that they were. They didn't have to go anywhere to be in Jerusalem because they were there. What that means is if you're going to be a witness and you're going to make disciples, you need to be doing that where you are. 
What that means is that your mission field as Christians is going to be where you are currently. Which means that you may have the toughest mission field of all. My most challenging time I've ever preached in my life was to tell the gospel to my grandfather. It was terrifying to me. Your mission field, the most difficult one you may ever have, may sleep in the bed next to you at night. Maybe in the room down the hall, maybe the house next door. There is people that is lost in Anderson, Missouri. There's people that's lost in Knoll, Missouri, where I'm from. Those people are just as lost as someone across the world. And yet what we do is we say that this person is paid to be the missionary, so therefore they get to be the missionary, and we are just in charge of sitting here on Sunday. That is not the charge that Christ has given us. We are all missionaries in whatever capacity we are. Some people, I hope and I pray, are going to be inspired by this kind of thinking and is going to go overseas to different locations. Hopefully that is a charge that is given to many of us because that's the truth of what we are supposed to be doing as Christians. But if that is not what you are to do, you have not lost this responsibility of being a missionary right where you are. I want to tell you about some of the passionate things that I have in my life. And I think we got the... Can we do the pictures? Look at that. All right, I am a non-techie guy. Like, big time. I told Matt, um, I just graduated from a flip phone. And so the fact that there is a picture with my family on it is a big deal for me. So just really enjoy that and just, you know, maybe a polite applause. Look at that, look at that. You guys seriously are not impressed. You don't know how much work went into this. All right. But this is my family here, all right? One of those is obviously doesn't look like the others, but he considers himself my brother, and I do too. The big, goofy-looking guy in the middle is myself, Josh, my beautiful wife, Lauren, and then oldest to youngest, you have Emma, Luke, and Claire, my children. Uh, the man on the side is Abiyaziz Muhammad. He is a Somali Christian, which is like saying a pink elephant. It's not something you normally say, and we'll talk a lot about him at the end. Um, let's go to the next one. All right. Here's our story. We're, right before I get to Noel, I, I don't want to shortchange this part of it. Pastoring a church is not something I've done most of my life. I already told you I've worked at Walmart for 20 years. Um, I had a time in my life in which I was working insane hours. I was working 70 hours a week at times. I rarely attended church. I said I was a Christian because I said the sinner's prayer when I was five years old, but truthfully I had zero fruit in my life at all. Uh, I was battling depression. I considered suicide at times. Um, I did terrible, stupid things that my wife should have got, kicked me to the curb for. Um, I remember a point in my life, I was sitting in another one of those boring Walmart meetings, and I looked at all my coworkers around. All these guys, uh, none of them would declare themselves to be a Christian, and I did. I looked at my life, and my life um, resembled them in every single solitary way. It bothered me. We started attending Buffalo Creek Baptist Church. There was a family who had just left Buffalo Creek. That family was Dustin Webb, who I mentioned a little bit ago. He's the missionary in Peru. He had left that church to become a missionary. His grandfather was a deacon in the church. His, his father um, uh, passed the offering plate around. He had a, was part of a family business, made a lot more money than I did. He had one visit to Peru, was so met, amazed at the possibilities there. He sold everything. He left everything, took his wife and kids, and now they have a boat that goes up and down the Amazon River, and he's got two or three little churches set up down there, and he, he mentors the pastors down there. They had just left when we started attending Buffalo Creek, and I was amazed at what the pastor was saying, and I was doubly amazed that there was a man that my age, with children my kids' age, that was doing something that actually lined up with Scripture. 
Because I realized that my life didn't line up with Scripture, and I started thinking maybe it ought to. We realized our life was going to change and in a hurry. We did some practical things. First thing we did was got out of debt because we knew that whatever we were going to do, we were going to need financial freedom to do it. The second thing we did is this, is I stepped down from my job. I had a lot of pride associated with it. I used to supervise 100 people. Now all of a sudden I stock groceries in a Walmart store and everyone's my boss. It loses a lot of money, which seems strange when you're trying to get out of debt, but however, it worked just the same. Then I went to my pastor and I said, you know what? I'm here to serve in whatever capacity I can do. I'm going to be here on Sunday now, where I was attending maybe one church service a month or maybe two. And so we started to serve in whatever ways possible. I started sweeping floors. We set up the Wednesday night meals. We did all those kind of things. And after a while, he had me preach. No one booed me, and so they asked me to do it again. Um, my, first, my first time I ever preached, uh, the elderly couple sat in the front row and fell asleep during the entire time. So if you feel tired, realize the pastor sees this. But at any rate, I get done, and I was shaking like a leaf, scared to death. And they get up, and they come running over to me, and they say, You did such a good job. I never got that one. At any rate, but during the middle of that first sermon, I mentioned something of prophecy because I always enjoyed it. And uh, Pauline, who's now my treasurer at, at Buffalo or at Knoll, uh, she went to Jared, the pastor, and said, he likes prophecy. He's going to teach on Revelation. So one of my next sermons, I taught through the book of Revelation at Buffalo Creek, shaking like a leaf the entire time as well. And that started my missionary journey, in a sense. A year later, I'm all of a sudden the pastor at, at Knoll Community Baptist. Here's a little bit of the demographics in Knoll. Uh, some of this you guys will know. Some of it will surprise you because it surprised me. There's 1,800 people in Knoll. It's a small town. Uh, Tyson's brings all the diversity in. There are currently 32 nations of birth present in Knoll. That is insane. Uh, there are 11 languages spoken in the school. The religions are going to include Islam, which is going to be all the African people. If you are African descent, you are Muslim in Knoll. Uh, the Buddhist people, which, which is a lot of my Korean people, which we'll talk about in a minute, they have, they have Buddhist backgrounds. Animism, this is going to be some pagan stuff, spirit worship, ancestor worship, things of that nature. A lot of people in my church think there's evil spirits in the river that wear bracelets to ward off evil spirits, things like that. Christianity I include in there. However, I meant to put a small, lowercase c because there's a lot of cults of Christianity that's going to be present. To be honest, churches like this and churches where I was from had very little impact in terms of reaching these folks. It's just the truth. The majority of evangelistic work has been done by cults of Christianity like Mormon and Jehovah Witness. Um, so I included it in that capacity. Christian outreach into the community is minimal. Most of the churches in town other than my own are going to be 100% Caucasian when you have 32 nations of birth in town. That's just the case. Let's go to the next one. This is Community Baptist Church. That's the church where I'll be at 2 o'clock. Come and check it out. Um, it's the old First Baptist building. It's been there forever and a day. The uh, church has uh, changed drastically over the years, obviously. Uh, at the time we went in as a church replant from Buffalo Creek, uh, it was down to just a handful of people. Uh, there was one family, Mike and Charlie Brown, uh, Charlotte, but we call her Charlie. They kept the doors open. Uh, he's not a preacher at all. Mike's not, but he's a gifted teacher. And uh, so they had people from pulpit supply to preach and whatever else. And most importantly, he befriended the Karen people. Uh, we, we went in in October 2017 as a church replant. There was about 20, 25 people, including my family there. It was largely Mike's family, my family, and uh, several of the Karen people we'll talk about in a minute. 
Let's go to the next one. These are the Korean people. I had never heard of these folks until the Sunday I preached to them. Okay? So if you don't know that name, don't worry. I, I didn't either. This is a shirt that many of them are going to wear a similar style to this. This is not the normal size that they come in. Um, that I'm sure this was specially made. I don't even know, want to know how much they paid for it. But at any rate, uh, they give a lot of these out as gifts if you show up at church for a while. Um, anyway, these are a people from Southeast Asia. They're often called the Burmese, although they wouldn't want to be called that. Here's a little bit of their history. Right After World War II, uh, the world decided to carve up the nation as, as Europe saw fit. They gave control of Burma or Myanmar to uh, the Burmese people, which is one people group there. The Karen are a different people group. They have a different language. They have a different culture. They have different religion. They were reached by a Christian missionary some years before. This is a totally different group of people. They didn't enjoy being in control of by the Burmese, and so they started war, and they've been in continuous civil war since World War II. Um, the Burmese people have had done a very good job of trying to eliminate uh, all the small people groups there, and there's a lot of them. There's Kareni, there's others. The Karen, which is I'm, my heart is for, because that's who I know, uh, they were largely ran out of their little villages. They, these were folks who had limited education. They were largely slash-and-burn farmers, people like that. Um, they were herded out, uh, shot at. There's stories of tremendous persecution. Um, Puello's uncle had his hands and feet cut off, his eyes gouged out, and bled to death in front of her. This is the type of persecution these people have experienced for years. They're persecuted because of language, culture, and religious differences. So there is some persecution for their faith as well. They've been chased out of their home country and ran into refugee camps. Uh, Yemenu, my translator, described it as 600 acres uh, fenced off. And if you are not allowed to learn, learn the native language of that country, Thailand. Uh, so you can't learn the Thai language legally. If you attempt to leave on your third offense, you're shot on sight. And there you stay with minimal educational opportunities, minimal uh, health uh, care, minimal everything. And that's where they stay for up to generations until they get an opportunity to become refugees in the United States. So they've came to the United States. Knoll is a secondary place that they would come. Largely, a lot of these groups have came from Texas, North Carolina, places like that. When they show up in these places, they get them some basic job skills. They largely set them up with some kind of housing, some things like that. And then they're kind of on their own. When they came to Knoll, they came for work. At these places, there is no government resources available. Nothing. There is nothing in place. So what you have is a community of people that showed up for work, and you have 100 people living in one housing area up, at, up at the, on Hilltop, if you know where that is. They've came here. Some have had zero education. Some have untreated medical issues. Uh, many do not drive. Many are illiterate in any language, much less Korean. And they are there. When the uh, church first stumbled across them and found out they were there, there were 100 people up there on Hilltop, and none of them were sleeping on a mattress. They were all sleeping on bare floors. The little apartments they're living in are two-bedroom, one-bath, maybe six, 700 square foot, and you put 10 people in it. There's obvious physical needs. However, I do want to state this. These are people with cell phones. These are people with 401K and health insurance. A lot of the times they just don't know how to use the 401k and health insurance and those kind of things. That's a lot of the issues there. This particular uh, picture was taken at a baby shower. Uh, Mudar, I have no idea why he's in that picture. He is not in the family, but <laughs> he popped in there. 
But at any rate, this was taken in the middle of summer, and it just gives you an idea of culture and things like that. Is that Mule? But Mule is it's sitting there in the stocking cap. Uh, this is the middle of summer. They're used to a very different climate. They wear different clothes, all those kind of things. Kind of gives you an idea of culture and so on. Well, let's go to the next one. Our Sunday service. I'm going to be preaching there at 2. It's going to look vastly different to this. Um, the first thing you'll notice is the music is going to be very different. I enjoyed this one thoroughly. I haven't had an opportunity to sit in a song service like that lately. Uh, it was refreshing to me. It really was. We try to incorporate their culture in everything we do, um, effectively in some ways and ineffectively in others, I'm sure. Uh, what we have been typically doing is my wife and whoever else has been, she's been dragging up there to help. Uh, we have a list of about 20-some songs that are in Korean and English both. Uh, traditional Baptist hymns, and they know them and we know them, so that's the ones we're singing. And we'll sing those together in two languages at the same time. Um, Music-wise, we didn't have any instruments for the first close to six, eight months we were there. And so we had recorded music, which sounded like a xylophone. It was the most dreadful thing. So you had this recorded music, you know, amazing. Oh, and then two languages singing at the same time as loud as you can, so you drown the other one out. And... (laughs) It was awful, but it was glorifying to God because we were singing praises to God as best we can. So we get done with those songs we sing together. Typically, we'll have a, we have some nice people that come up and they'll sing in English a couple songs or two, and then we'll have Corinne's singing. They'll sing a song or two as well. Uh, Puello, the one on the right, will often tell us the meaning of some of the lyrics, and they're usually just amazing theologically, theologically correct stuff. It's awesome. You don't know what they're saying, but it's good stuff. After that, I preach with a translator. Um, traditional old Baptist church, big wooden podium in the middle, and yay man stands beside me. I say a verse or two, he says a verse or two. You know, we go back and forth like that. Uh, with a religious background as being influenced by Buddhism and Christianity, I'm very careful on doctrine, and we go slow. We preach the exclusivity of Christ, and we preach that basically alone. Um, I try not to get probably too in-depth or detailed, and I try largely to stick, stick to Gospels and, and uh, some of the Paul's epistles, though I'm deviating from that a little bit this Sunday. So let's go to the next one. Right after birthday parties, you say, why is that up there? That's a big part of their culture. We don't have any other service other than Sunday morning. I have been able, unable to start it. For them, though, this is a second service or a third service or whatever it is that week. Uh, this is going to be what it looks like. You're going to go into someone's house. You'll have most of the people from the community. Most of the houses are going to have very limited furniture, maybe an old chair or a futon, and that's reserved for the pastor. If you want to talk about awkward, that's awkward. Everyone else sits cross-legged in a circle around you, and we have a church service. Um, I never know when the birthday parties are going to be, so my preaching is done, done totally impromptu. You notice I have no notes today, and that's pretty typical for me. <laughs> At any rate, but you, uh, you go impromptu and you preach the gospel. We have songs, uh, largely sang in Korean. Um, we pray lots and lots and lots of prayer for the person having the birthday. And then we sing happy birthday in English, which is still the strangest part of it to me. Um, we'll go to the next picture. This is going to explain why they had a special order my size shirt. Uh, they are extremely gracious in every way. And as part of that, uh, when they have meals together, they spend a great deal of money in order to feed everyone from the community that's willing to be there. And then they want to feed the pastor exceptionally well. Those are my plates. Those are not my wife's plates. Those are not my children's plates. 
Uh, typically, there will be four or five drinks set aside too. They will serve you, and then they will sit back and wait for you to eat. And so, you know, 30, 40 sets of expectant eyes watching you eat, and you eat to the best of your ability. And I have stories of some of the uh, food-related disasters that I will not uh, say from the pulpit, but some of them are challenging. Uh, I'll give one. Uh, the, the, the first time I got sick, and the second time, Yemenu, my translator, said, don't worry, it's ice cream. It's just ice cream. And so we show up, and he gives me a red Solo cup, and he puts cubed ice in it. And then he gets, um, like, those Hawaiian sweet rolls, and he breaks it up in little pieces put in there. And then he gets uh, halved black olives he puts in. And then he starts putting those candy cherries you put in desserts at Christmas time. He puts those in. He gets uh, dry-roasted peanuts, puts those in. And he put in something. Emma says it was tea. I, I don't know. It's some kind of syrup stuff. And they poured that over the top and gave me to that with a spoon and said, ice cream. And then they all sat and waited for me to eat it. And, I, and so, anyway, it's just cultural things. And it's a delight and it's the fun part of it in a lot of ways. But it is a challenge. So that gives you an idea what often our Sundays look like. So let's go to the next one. These are things we're attempting to do as a church. Uh, some we do well, some we don't do so well. We are a church that's going to be a very similar size to this in a lot of ways. Uh, we probably do an extraordinary amount of ministry for our size. Our budget is going to be, typically for a church's size, maybe a quarter or a fifth of what you guys operate under. Um, so everything we do, we do on the cheap, and we do a lot of it. So here's the things we are trying to do currently. Our youth group, uh, that ranges inside from three kids to 20 kids based on the Sunday. We never know how many. We do a lot of activities with them. Uh, we have a kids' choir we participate in in the Osho. Uh, we take them to that. There's a lot of extra little stuff we do just to try to disciple them as best we can. This has been a major part for us. The church basement's an old thing, and it flooded some years ago. It was unusable space, and so the pastor before me cleaned everything out that looked like a Sunday school classroom down there. And we've, uh, in recent, in the last six months, we got good racks hang up now where we hang it full of clothes. Um, I would bet you at least half of the clothing that my Korean people wear come from that basement. Uh, we receive a lot of donated clothes. If that's something you guys are interested in, we always need kids' clothes. Uh, women's usually not so much. Men's not usually so much. Kids' clothes especially. Uh, we open it up on Wednesdays uh, during the English class time with the hope of pulling some of our English class students over there as well. I'd love to expand this. There's a lot of need. Uh, frankly, now it's just a matter of staffing and trying to get it promoted well. Uh, right now it's heavily just our Korean people, but we have a tremendous amount of traffic through there. It's a strange little ministry, but it's actually an excellent one that, that's uh, fruitful for us. Uh, Convoy of Hope, uh, that's been an interesting one for us as well. We get a lot of attention from a lot of places. We struggle getting attention from next door. That's why talking here is important for us. I mean, it just flat out is. Um, we're a unique little ministry. We've had two documentary films being filmed about us um, the last six, eight months. Okay, One came from the Netherlands and one came from Texas. Um, we get contacts from churches all over the world. We're talked about in strange circles. Um, we have a difficulty getting people from Anderson and Knoll in Southwest City to pay attention. That's just the truth. Convoy of Hope has gotten a hold of us. That's Joyce Meyer's organization. I have some theological differences with her, but her local director is amazing. 
Uh, he comes down, he disciples me a great deal. He's down at least every two weeks thereabouts. And one thing that they do, which helps us a lot, is they bring a box truck about every five, six months, uh, four to six pallets of food, consumables, toiletries, things of that nature. Um, we'll pass those out. We make a big deal of it on Facebook, and we give out a lot of Bibles through that. Uh, last time we did a good job incorporating the English class, which we'll talk about in a minute, and we even had some of the religious Muslim leaders of the town come. We were able to hand out a couple Somali Bibles through that, which is a difficult thing to do. And so uh, that's one ministry that we do that's that's really big deal for us. Let's go to the next one. Crowder College. Uh, this is Crowder College out of Neosho. They have English classes set up at several different places around. This is their biggest. They use our church's gym in order to teach English. This is a secular class. They are not teaching John 3.16. They are teaching English. However, what we have here is staggeringly qualified teachers. Um, we have missionaries off the field, people like that as being the teachers of this class. And the, what you have is you have 100 students enrolled. Many of them are going to be Muslim. Many are going to be Hispanic background. And they are meeting in a Christian church four days a week. I cannot tell you the dramatic opportunity that there is there. We've had fruit from that. We have to keep the, that kind of fruit kind of quiet. And I'll talk a little bit about it at the end. But they have classes Monday through Thursday. This is Linda Watts, one of the English class teachers, just to show you the, the qualifications of these people. Her husband, Milton, translates the Bible into different languages. He's helped with the translation into ten different languages, including oral Bibles, because some of these cultures don't have written languages. Um, that is the first copy she brought to show us of a language in Western Africa that has never had scripture before. He's over there right now uh, overseeing the dedication of this Bible. And she's going, and I, I forget which day it is, but it is come up, coming very quickly to be there a part of that celebration as well. But an English class teacher we have. This is the strange one. Um, I, I got to Noel because of the need. And right afterwards, uh, my sending pastor, Jared, uh, went to another church in Springfield. Uh, very quickly, what that meant is that Buffalo Creek was no longer had direct ties to us, just in a practical way. Um, right after that, they asked me to be the interim at Buffalo Creek. So all of a sudden, I went from, truthfully, not even attending church um, to within a relatively short period of time to pastoring two churches and having a full-time job. Um, that's where I'm at currently. During that time, I desperately wanted Noel to be told about. I, I didn't know what to do, and I'd been listening to 88.9 How to Grow for a period of time, and I listened to this program called Compassion Radio, and they talked largely about refugee populations and so on. And so at any rate, Luke and I, my son, we were walking across the road to the gym, and a Somali man almost took me out with his car. And he gets out and he apologizes, and here's what he told me. He said that he's been in Knoll for three years, and he knew one white guy is all he's met, and I look like that guy. And he was afraid he had ran over the one white guy he had known. <laughs> Think of the implications of that. Most of these groups are dealing entirely within their own people group. My Korean people live, work, shop, hang out entirely with the Korean people. If they buy meat, they buy a cow on the hoof, they butcher it together, they make sausage together, they make everything together. They have a garden outside, they garden, they grow a lot of their vegetables together. 
The only contact outside of their people group is going to be church and whatever contact they have at work. And even that's a lot of that's working with the same people group. So when you're talking about a Somali man who is a Muslim man, his entire work, time, social life, everything else is entirely within that field of Islam. Which means that you can be in a county that has 130 churches like McDonald County has and live for years and truthfully not have contact with a Christian to the point that if you almost hit someone, you're afraid you've met the one guy who has the potential to be Christian. That floored me. I was so upset, I didn't know what to do, and so I called the radio station, and I told them, I said, i got to tell this somehow, and what I'm doing isn't working. It turns out that the station manager was dying of cancer, and I didn't know it. His son, who worked with English translation, worked with refugees in Thailand, with the people group I was working with, had came back home to oversee the dying process of his father. He was sitting in the living room, the only person within a thousand miles who had heard of the Korean people and he'd been working with them for a living for a period of time, and he was there exclusively to take care of his dying father. Daryl Martin, the station manager, said, this sounds amazing, met with me, put me in contact with his son, and gave me a job at doing a radio program once a week. Um, the... When they called to say I had officially gotten the time slot and all that stuff, Daryl actually died during the phone conversation. I was talking to a different lady. She got the call that Daryl had died during that phone call. Daryl was in place at the perfect time and the only person who would give me a chance doing something like this. Right after that, we started 91.7 because I could say, look, I have an established radio program. KNEO got us involved with that too. I've had offers for up to 30 or 40 other stations, but at this point we haven't pursued it. My goal is to tell people about the situation the gospel needs and know to hear. I don't care about Kansas City or Tupelo, Mississippi. I care about here. So at this point, this is, that's the extent of what we've done with the radio broadcast. But it's on weekly, and what our goal is is just to tell people about the situation here and to stand on a soapbox and scream about it. And I have no other purpose for it other than that. Let's go to the next one. The Backyard Bible Club. Um, we get attention from a lot of churches that want to do something for an afternoon. To be blunt, I never know what to do with them. I don't. I mean, I have a youth group. Let's say I were to bring a youth group to your church to serve in some capacity. You could probably find a project for them this time. But what if I brought them next week and the week after that and the week after that? My record is seven youth groups contact me within a week. Um, I don't know what to do with them. What we have had an ability to do is this backyard Bible club. We have four little small churches. Some of them have membership of 15 or 20 people, like the First Baptist Lanigan. Um, they work together and do basically a one-night VBS once a month. It's a way for them to serve, and truthfully, it provides some benefit for our church as well. And it's something Laura and I don't have to directly coordinate. And so that's been a, something that we've enjoyed a lot, and it's experienced some good success. I'm hoping as we continue to do this consistently that we're going to drive... Um, Contact from some of these other people groups that's hard to get into, to be, to be blunt. Let's go to the next one. This is the new one. That's Pastor Nunez. Uh, we now have another church in our building. The Nazarene Church, just outside of town. Uh, their tenants dwindled to the point they were in danger of shutting down. The pastor left. Their building was vandalized, et cetera, et cetera. The Nazarene organization contacted us and said, we want to start a Spanish-speaking service, and we need a location. I said, well, my location's as good as you can get. Uh, we are right smack dab in the middle of large Guatemalan Mexican families. Um, 
it seemed like a very good partnership. Pastor Nunez is currently preaching here in Carl Junction, I believe. Um, over the next couple of months, he's going to be moving to town and be doing ministry exclusively there in Knoll. Uh, he speaks no English whatsoever. <laughs> However, uh, everything I've heard through a translator, I think he's real theologically sound and I enjoy him greatly. And so that is another outreach that we can do so that way we have another language covered. If there's 11 languages in town, I want gospel presentation in 11 languages. Right now we have Korean, English, and Spanish, which means there are eight more. Um, it will happen. I don't know if we're going to look like the UN with a string of translators lined up. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it is going to happen in some form or fashion. Let's go to the next one. This is a major part of what we do. Um, it doesn't sound like much, but if you have a people group that a significant number don't drive or don't drive legally, if you have a significant number that cannot uh, fill out paperwork, we're talking like they get mail and they don't know what it's for, a lot of this kind of stuff is our day-to-day stuff that we do. After church at 3 o'clock, there's usually a cluster of people surround my wife and Charlie, and they bring phone bills, they bring doctor's bills and things like that. It's just knowing what to do with this kind of thing. The children are very fluent in English. The parents are not. I'm going to talk about this family specifically, but that's Charsay. Is that Posse or T in the back? And Etika in the car seat there. Last month, Lauren took probably 15 to 20 trips uh, to various hospitals as far away as Kansas City, uh, driving people around and doing those kind of things. It's an extraordinary expenditure of time and effort, and it's truthfully the most overwhelming part of this kind of ministry. Let's go to the next one. Reaching other groups. That's where I'm going back to Abdi Aziz that I was talking about at the beginning, the guy that was in my family, all right? Here's the story. There are 32 nations of birth, and many of these nations of birth don't necessarily have much of a Christian influence, especially the African nations. I've heard statistics. I don't know how accurate they are. I've heard that there's about 600 Somali people in Nol, and there's about 100 Sudanese. That may be off by a little bit, but it gives you an idea of of the scope of it. Of those people group, Uh, There are zero Christians in their midst currently. Zero. None. No Christians. Here's what the story is and where our outreach has been. God has moved. There has been four Christians in that group within the last year, but none of them can stay here because of persecution state. It's the case. Um, Abdi Aziz Muhammad, that guy that's with us in the picture, he's the exception. He started out Christian. His parents were a Christian pastors in Mogadishu, one of the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian. They were executed because they were believers. His sister was then all of a sudden the head of the household. This is still Mogadishu. She was raped and murdered because she was Christian. At this point, he's about the age of my kids. They're kids. He became a refugee where they slowly made their way to the United States over time. While he was here, he heard there was work in Knoll. And so a Somali Christian man, the only one in town, comes marching into the English class. From the appearance of him, you knew something's different. Even without saying a word, you can identify a Christian in that group. You just can. Uh, They quickly got him in contact with me, and we became very close friends. Uh, Leaving Islam and being a Somali Christian is a dangerous thing for him. To visit my house. We were talking in Knoll, Missouri. We were talking 15, 20 minutes from here. We're talking here. To visit my house. He couldn't come at my house directly because someone would see him. They get a slur called friend of Christian. Anissa can no longer visit my house because she got called that slur. In order to visit my house, he would leave the English class, 
walk down the block, walk around while the other students left, come back to the place he was and sneak into my house. He could not openly walk into the church. We were trying to figure out a plan. He would get into the church and pray. In Knoll, Missouri, here, he could not openly pray. We had times he would come to my house and he just wanted to pray because he wanted to pray out loud. In Knoll, Missouri, when he did that, I couldn't even say a word. I couldn't pray. I just listened and cried to understand the amount of persecution and difficulty that's experienced in his life. He eventually couldn't handle the persecution here, not in Somalia, here. And he went back to Kentucky where there's more Christian believers there. While he was here, he met another Somali man named John. He baptized him in Arkansas. That's the second one. The third one was a young lady named Starlin. She's a teenage kid. She walked in the back door of the church, sat on the back pew, and said, I am no longer Muslim. Her father threatened to kill her and removed her from the family. She had to be taken in by other, other school teachers, people like that, where she still is to this day. She cannot openly worship as a Christian. She has to be outside of town. That's the third one. The fourth one is Muhammad. He was an English class student. He started out of dreams of Jesus. Listen, I'm a good old Baptist boy, and I, and I didn't know what I thought about stuff like that. It's real. He started to have dreams of Jesus, and he didn't know what they meant. And he called his English class teacher and said, tell me about this Jesus I'm having dreams of. He was baptized by my former pastor up in Joplin, where he has to stay for safety's sake. That's the type of work and ministry we are in. Some of it you have to be quiet about. Some of it you can't say anything about. We have another man that's been having dreams of Jesus, and so far no fruit has came of that. I now know multiple people that came to Christ just strictly because of dreams where Christ has came to them. Because here's the reality. Christ is going to call to himself all that are his. If we don't go, they're coming anyway. It is our joy and our responsibility is for us to go. Not that we're going to convert a soul, but we get to be there and meet Abdi when he comes to Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? That is the only part we get to enjoy in that. So we talk about reaching other groups. That's the type of ministry we are in. It is slow, it is long, and it is painful. Those verses I read at the beginning, one of them says, uh, talking about making disciples. Do you know what making a disciple means? It means you share your life with them for an extended period of time. You pour your life into them in every single way. This is not the short-term mission trip where you show up and you hand something, someone something nice, a Bible and a tract, and you smile and they leave. No, you experience it in all the difficult times. This has been an extremely challenging couple of weeks for my wife and I. That picture we showed of transporting the people around, it was Charse and that family. Here's where we've been with this week. Uh, that family is going through a divorce. Uh, this youngest child, the one in the car seat, was found to not be the husband's. Uh, those kids have been in my house. We've probably spent the night in my house 30 to 40 times. Uh, people think that those, some of those children are my own children because of how much they've seen them. Okay? Uh, after church on Sunday at 9.30 at night, we counsel with the family. We've counseled the family multiple times this week, and it went to this point. Yesterday, after we got done with the missions conference, we got a call to say goodbye to the kids. We go up to there, and at 9.30 at night, we were hanging out with them, and the dad is taking all the kids to Minnesota with them. These are kids that we truthfully thought we might be adopting. We might be a family of all of a sudden five extra kids all of a sudden. And they're gone. They're going to be in Minnesota right now. 
My family has cried and been broken up more about this situation than any others, but I'm going to tell you the truth. That's discipleship. That is pouring your life into someone else and telling them about Christ. That's an opportunity to pray with people that need the Lord. And that is something that is not happening in a short-term mission trip. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. It happens over decades. The fruit that's going to exist from that, if T. Wynn and Posse and Katu in November, of all names, his name is November, but if they come to Christ and they, they live their family as Christian family, that fruit's going to be there because of the discipleship we did now. It's painful and it's hard and it's difficult and it's overwhelming to the point that I don't even know if we can do it some days. I'm going to be blunt. I don't know how we maintain this, this hectic pace and the things that we do, but we do because God has commanded us to and we have no other option. If we are followers of Christ, then we are going to do the things he's commanded us to do. Remember that from Matthew. I'm going back to it. This is the least scripture I've ever used in a talk. Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples where we are. We spread that in Acts. Where our location is and where we're located, we are supposed to bring people to Christ, tell them about Jesus, and ultimately teach them the thing Christ told us to do. It is a long-term involved process that is going to be simply a product of what Christ has done for us. My hope and prayer for this ministry is this, that there is a community of believers that grows and thrives there. My hope and prayer is that it becomes self-sustaining, and if I'm ran over by a truck on the way home from here, that it continues on. My hope and prayer is that there's going to be leaders emerge within the Korean community, and there's eventually a Korean pastor, and I preach myself out of a job. Where we're at in reality, though, is this, is Yemen News, my translator, a major leader in the church, and will not be baptized. Where we're at right now is most of my people in my church do not speak English, um, do not, are not able to read even well enough to even know Scripture well. I have two believers that I know for sure are strong believers in Christ. One is Puello, who's in that picture, and the other one's Depo. Beyond that, we have to have more. We have a church the size of this one and yet operates on an unusually small budget because most of our offering plates are $1 bills. We are in desperate need to proclaim the gospel because we are believers in Christ. How we will do so is up to us. If you can see plans in here and how we're supposed to do that, show me. I can't find them and I want them. But I do know this is that God has commanded us to go. In the book of Acts, it talks about being Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is a logical progression. Jerusalem's the town they were in. Judea is the area around. Samaria is the neighboring country. The ends of the earth is everywhere else. There's a logical progression to this, and we should operate in a logically progressed way as well. Whatever it looks like and however we do it, we need to be involved in those communities. You cannot have hundreds of people that has no gospel influence in them at all in a town in a county of 130 churches. It cannot be. We need to have avenues to preach the gospel to those communities in some way, form, or fashion, and it needs to be a lot of people to do it. My prayer is that we can pull people from McDonald County. I don't need people from, I don't need people from the Netherlands, and I don't need people from anywhere else. I need people from Anderson, Southwest City, Pineville, Yosho, towns local like this. 
That's my prayer for this place. I'm going to close there. Dear God, thank you so much. Because you are in charge. And I ain't. (laughs) I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to preach your word faithfully and boldly. In Acts, it said that the Peter and John, they were ignorant and unlearned, but the people marveled because they spoke boldly and they knew they had been with Jesus. My prayer is that, that that's what they see of us. We don't need skill. We don't need talent. We don't need ability. We need to preach boldly and people to know that we've been with Jesus. I pray that we can do so in whatever fashion that you call us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.